Welcome back to Movie House. My name is Joe, here with my co-host Ryan, where we talk about movies old and new, give you a different perspective, you know, maybe something good, maybe something bad, maybe a little in-between. Yep. We'll see how it goes this time. Maybe avoid some disasters, maybe find something new to make fun of. That would be, uh, that, it's always fun. There's it's always some- fun to, to give a little garbage to the movies. There might be some heavy-handedness with that going around and a lot of these sort of movie-reviewing kind of kind of talks. But I'd like to talk more about the lighter side of some of this stuff, which wasn't what happened in one of our last movies. But this one isn't that movie. This one is The Mask of Zorro. Yep. A fun, late-90s action movie starring the great Anthony Hopkins and the eh, mostly great Antonio Banderas. It's fun. It's fun to watch. Catherine Zeta-Jones is in it. And... No other actors that I could come up with their names because I've not seen them in anything else. I'm pretty sure I've seen the one that played Captain Love in something else before, but I cannot think of his name. He looks very familiar. He's basically the same character as the white Anglo-Saxon captain from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He's very similar to that character, only much less... Norrington? Yeah, that guy. Much less character development over time. He just is what he is in this movie, which is fine. I liked him as a bad guy, as an antagonist in this. Yeah, he was a good bad guy. Because he's actually, at least at first, he's on the side of the law. He's chasing criminals. Mm -hmm. He's doing his job. There's not really that much wrong with their first confrontation. As... As Antonio Banderas' character, Alejandro, is a criminal. Mm-hmm. And him and his brother just robbed a uh, stagecoach. Uh, yeah, it was th- this little ploy by him, his brother, uh, Three Finger Jack. Mm-hmm. Is the name of the character that they're working with. Um, kind of like a, a stagecoach idea. It's I felt it was very Robin Hood-ish. That that's what they were trying to portray. He was very friendly to the native townsfolk there. And I can't say they were going to plan to use the money altruistically. Right. But I I got that that friendly man of the people vibe from what they were doing. Yeah, I did too. It seemed that they were there to rob those soldiers specifically. And there's a scene of the... One of the villagers comes up to him and says, there's a strong box in the stagecoach, or, or however he puts it. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. And they go, yeah, that's why we're here. The guy's like, oh, like, okay. I don't know what he thought they were there for before. Maybe it was just by accident, or they were there to help them, save them, whatever. But Yeah, there was like, that moment of recognition with, he was like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense now. Yeah. And Captain Love doesn't do anything to him unprovoked, let's say. The... the, the Brother that dies. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. He... <laughs> a little late on that one, but okay. It's Whoops. all right. <laughs> he, we'll see. Yeah. If you haven't seen the first five minutes of this 20-year-old movie... But, we apologize. Yeah. When they first meet, he's very serious and intimidating, kind of, in his demeanor, the way he's very proper, very, like, straight to business. He shoots three-finger jack as soon as he jumps out of the wagon. And Alejandro's brother kills himself. Before they can get him. Mm-hmm. Before anything really happens to him. But then the thing that puts it over the edge for Love clearly being the bad guy is that he cuts his head off. He says, bag the head, bury the body. For some reason, they leave the big silver medallion that Zoro gave them behind. It's 
the size of a saucer, <laughs> and it's just in the dirt. I mean, I'm pretty sure we call that plot convenience. Yeah. He, and by he, I mean the director, needed Antonio Banderas to have that as, you know, the memento, the thing that he can look at when he mourns and he uh, is driven by vengeance and hate for this uh, Captain Love. Love. I was going to say long, and I'm like, that's, I mean, that wasn't right. Yeah, it's also the thing that allows the original Zorro to recognize him because he gave him and his brother that memento. 20 years before. Mm-hmm. They they saved him, quote-unquote, saved him by... Uh, Attempting to murder <laughs> a perch full of guards that, that had rifles and were ready. By pushing over a statue on the corner, like this gargoyle-type statue, that you would assume has been affixed to the corner of that building so as not to be just knocked over by a strong breeze. And these two young adolescent boys can just shove it I mean, that was a little... but it's very for, convenient. It was very convenient. To be... To not to be too harsh with this movie in that aspect, there's not a ton of that. There's a lot of movies that things happen, they have to get the MacGuffin, and they have to go from here to there because the plot needs it to happen. There's not a lot of that in this movie. There's a few things that I have, a few little things that I noted that that was exactly the case. But for the most part, it's... It's well done. It's directed well, acted well, and as long as you're not looking for too much into it, I mean, it's it's a fun action movie. It is. This is different than a modern superhero movie in a couple ways, and one of them is, is that it's trying to be simple. It's not trying to set up a universe. It's not trying to tie into any other stories. It's telling the story it has to tell. It has a definite beginning and end point that they're going mm-hmm. for. You know, every MacGuffin, everything that's in it, there aren't that many, like you said. There, There's really, you know, the mask is a thing he's trying to get. It represents him being ready. The medallion is a thing that Zorro gave him as a kid. But we also find out later that, that the circle pattern is basically representative of that training circle that they use in the movie that represents when you're going to be prepared to do whatever you're going to do. Prepared to take on the mantle of Zorro, which is no small feat. Yeah, and go after your own vengeance. He kept telling him, don't worry about finding Captain Love. He'll He'll be in your circle soon enough. I also think that a major difference is kind of how grounded it is, if that makes sense for a movie like this, a superhero movie. Because that is basically mm-hmm. what I would it. Is call basically it. what it is. It, there's no CG, like you said. There's no, for the most part, there's not a lot of stuff that's really over the top mm-hmm. or outlandish. Most of it are smaller, kind of more intimate moments or or action scenes. When he's fighting those guards in that bunkhouse, mm-hmm. he's trying to take that horse and he fights those guards. That feels, I mean, it's fun. It's very fun to watch. It's very well choreographed. It doesn't rely on a lot of special effects. At least, it doesn't rely on a lot of special effects that are not practical things happening on set. It doesn't rely on a lot of explosions or CG. Not that that was really available back then, but it also doesn't rely on huge stakes. I like that there are so many moments in this movie where it's just him trying to get away. He's not... there. You know, the end 
part of the movie, the main thing that they're trying to finish at the end, does have huge stakes. And there is that, you know, ticking clock sort of thing to it. But it doesn't have that level of intensity through the whole thing. A lot of it is just missions. That's what it feels like. He's going on missions and he's trying to get out of it afterward. Yeah, and it wasn't... He he didn't just become Zoro. He had to work. I mean, obviously, you got to have a montage. Got to have a montage. So, training montage, which I like that kind of thing in these movies. I like those um, in the Rocky movies, things like that. I like those. And it was... I, I want you want to see your hero struggle. There has to be if there's no struggle, there's no growth. Right. And I like that the talk speaking of growth, I like that it wasn't just a montage of him getting stronger, learning to fight, whatever. It was him learning lessons, learning to be patient, learning to put his emotions aside, learning not to attack out of anger, learning to sort of take on the characteristics that a hero like Zoro needs to have. It was one of the things told to him uh, by Diego de la Vega, which was Anthony Hopkins' character, um, the original Zoro, as it was in this, that if you're going to take on this mantle, it's it's not about your revenge. You're you're doing this for the people. That's why that's why I did it back then. That's if you're going to do this that's why you're doing it. You're not doing it because you, of this one man and you want to get revenge on him, which he surely did. But it was it was competently done. The way they brought everything out and had it set up, the, the ups, the downs. And as we stated, just it's fun. This... Number one, it's it's a fun movie, which it's nice to be able to sit down and just, you know, get your bucket of popcorn, and I want to sit and watch a fun movie. And uh, Yeah, it doesn't ask a lot of you. It's not asking you to figure a whole lot out. It's not asking you to keep track of really complicated political affairs. There's no dreams inside of dreams inside of dreams. Right. There aren't a lot of twists or double crosses or anything like that. It's It very clearly sets out... Who the good guys are and what they want. Who the bad guys are and what they want. We don't really know why the captain's in it, though. Because he doesn't appear to be from that area. I don't know how I got hooked up with them. Yeah. Um, He's kind of just a hired mercenary. It is. He, he plays that role of it. And I always ask myself as I'm watching these now. I'm trying to be better at this. Why are these characters doing what they're doing? What is, what is their driving reason? Anthony Hopkins. Revenge. Well, Antonio Banderas, revenge. Initially fighting for his people, his, you know, his home. True. In the very beginning, him as Zoro is a young man yeah. uh, or younger than what you see him for most of the movie. But he was still probably, at least the look of him, and he's probably in his 40s. Late 40s. That's what I would assume he's supposed to be. When he played this role, and that was the early aspect. And then you find out after everything happens, 20, they go to 20 years later. So he's a almost 70-year-old man, at, you know, for the majority of this movie. And so his driving motivation for that is the revenge. Uh, and Antonio. to get his daughter back. True. Once he found out that that was the case. 
He didn't realize right away that his daughter was still in the picture. As he's imprisoned, thinking about... All he could think about was getting back to Raphael, uh, the main villain of the movie. Did you assume that the daughter, Elena, hmm? was dead? No. I, I mean, did, did you think that his assumption was that she was dead? Because I... I assumed he knew his daughter was alive. When he when he gets that knife out, when Raphael first shows up on the shore. Right. I didn't assume that he stopped from killing him because he was surprised to see his daughter there. I assumed it was because he was going to spare her seeing that. He didn't want to do it in front of her. He didn't understand the relationship. I don't know. It's that's it's I mean, there's there's never any explanation of that. What what his thinking was about his daughter because he just he gets imprisoned in this wagon to be taken away. Um, his wife has just been killed, and his mortal enemy is carrying off his baby, infant daughter. Yeah, that baby looks like she's about four days old. That was a real <laughs> small baby. Real small baby. <laughs> yeah, but they don't they don't go into any sort of how what he was thinking about that. As you said, it's not there. It's not super deep. It's deep, but it doesn't try to be anything other than what it is. Because hmm? it, it has some deep moments to it. It does. There's Anthony a lot of Hopkins, things that... You know, we're talking about that he told Alejandro. Diego told Alejandro, you're Zorro now. You have to put your stuff aside. Alejandro says back something like, well, what about you? Like, you're seeking out your own revenge while you're training me and having me put my stuff aside. And he basically says, my time's over. I did that. All I have left now is to try to get my daughter back. Yeah, Alejandro's all mad. Well, what about what about for the people? He's like, that's basically. He says, well, that's why I gave it to you. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that's what you're here for now. I get to I I've waited twenty years. Yeah, of my life wasting my away, waiting for the opportunity to get revenge on my enemy. But at that moment, that's not what he was concerned with. He wasn't saying, I'm going to, I've been waiting for this long to go kill Raphael. He said, I am going to go get my daughter. Right. Like when I'm he not realized. Her again. Mm -hmm, that, that that was when he realized that she was in the picture as something that maybe he thought that she was given away to an orphanage. Or that she was on in Spain. On the other side of the world. And Absolutely. He would never be able to find her. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what that was, that look. Like, oh, she's here. There's a chance now. Yeah, there's some, as we said, not super deep, but some important things in the movie. Some dramatic things that, you know, can make you feel for these characters. And that's one of the things. They take these characters. There's things that happen to them. Loss. Uh, painful things, and it can make you feel for them. Whereas some some movies, you just don't. You, you want to. You, you know you're supposed to care for these characters, but based on how they've been introduced, shown to you, shown everything that they can do, whatever, you just don't. That's this isn't that. You actually begin to care for the characters in this because it's well done. Yeah, something that I've noticed with movies now is that. A lot of the dialogue has to be complex. A lot of the character interactions they try to make complex. And they, it makes them seem really unrealistic. And I think the movie feels real. As real as it can, given what it is. I don't know if you've ever watched Smallville. 
Smallville was the king of this. Like, that was the show that would do this constantly. Every episode, there were characters who would drive huge distances to deliver one line. Somebody, you know, Clark shows up, walks into Lex's house, tells him, you're not going to get away with this. You need to stay away from my friends. Lex Luthor looks at him. Clark, I don't know what you're talking about. And Clark's like, we'll see about that, and walks out. After they established in the first season that Metropolis and Smallville are about six hours apart, later on, in later seasons, they're close enough that they can commute. There are people living in Smallville commuting to Metropolis, but... Yeah, (laughs) it's this thing where... And a lot of movies do this, where people will travel somewhere to have this dramatic scene. And it's clearly just a scene. I don't want to say it's a moment, because it's not a natural thing that two people would do. If you and I were pissed at each other, I'm not driving 20 miles over here just to come up to your door. You open it. I'm like, you leave my friends alone. And you're like, you get off my porch. I'm like... Well, okay then. And then I go back home. That's just not how things work. I always like to imagine the scenes after that, after they have that confrontation. It's like, can I use your bathroom? I drove a really long way to get here and confront you about this. But in this, all the interactions, except for one, they seem fairly normal. And I like that you can see the kind of intellectual game that Alejandro is playing when he's pretending to be the noble Mm-hmm. The nobleman, the Don or whatever it is he's yes. supposed to be. He's measuring out carefully what he's saying. You know, he's insulting certain people. He's pouring honey into the ears of those who need that. Yeah, and he's being rude to the people that he's supposed to be rude to. He's not kind to Anthony Hopkins as his assistant. He's He acts the way he's supposed to act. Mm-hmm. But he has this, you know, there's the scene after Alejandro and Elena dance where Raphael comes down the stairs and kind of separates them. And he's upset because of the way they were dancing together because of the intensity of it. And then Alejandro diffuses the situation just as like, oh, wow, the girls here are so spirited Mm -hmm. or the way your daughter dances is so spirited. And yeah, the the way they dance in Spain. Right, and that takes it away from it being Alejandro's problem, but then he still tries to diffuse it further by, you know, like you said, pouring honey in his ears, trying to say the right things. Aren't related to that. He's not apologizing. He's. It's exactly like what Anthony Hopkins says when he's telling him how to behave. You say one thing, you think another. And when, when Raphael turns and walks away anyway, Alejandro has this like, oh man, I blew it. Look. And then he turns back around. It, it's the interactions and the way they talk to each other. They just feel a lot more real than somebody showing up, saying a vague line. There's a lingering shot on their face. And then it skips to the next scene. Most of the conversations have a logical beginning and end point. They actually make sense. They feel like something real people might have actually done in that time. Or at least in a world where the events that we're watching are possible. Yeah, it fits with the characters in the story. You feel like they are being true to themselves. Like, this is how they would act. This is how they would respond. This might be what they would say. The only one that seemed really out of place was Captain Love. It was after they shoot Three Finger Jack in the mine, or at the dig site. Okay. And Alejandro turns him over and looks at him, and there's that look of recognition between him 
and Three Finger Jack, but they don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Very small. And Very then small Love moment. knows something's up. So he asks him to come meet him. And he says, maybe some other time. And he goes, no, today. Alone. So he shows up and he has a drink in his hand. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't offer you anything. Pulls out a big jar with a head in it. And there's only been only been one person decapitated in this movie so far that we know of. Yeah, he's clearly doing it to test him. But it seems so bizarre and over the top. Because up until this point, with the nobles, with the dons, it's been very civil. Even when there's something going on, they speak to each other in a very civilized way. And this dude busts out a head in a jar. See, and that's... then a hand in a jar. And he offers him a drink. <laughs> and Alejandro keeps his composure. You know, they talk about it. He makes a joke, well, I would fire my housekeeper if I were you. And then he asks who the person, who the head is. Also, that head. That head was fresh. <laughs> that was not water in that jar. I, I'm like, I'm, is he drinking formaldehyde? Like, I'm not sure exactly what was going on because water is not going to... This isn't, you know... A preservative. Right. This isn't the, the bog in the Lord of the Rings with the dead people floating in it. <laughs> the golem saves him from. It's not that. It's This is a head that you're keeping in a jar. It has been in a jar... There's no there's no actual time stated for how much training he does and yeah. that. But we, we're assuming it was more than a day. It's a very small gripe. But yeah, it seems like that head was just put in there. Like, just removed the next day, put in this pot of water. and But I would assume it's been a year. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, Raphael's doing well. He's mined a lot of gold. A lot has happened since Raphael arrived. Uh, Diego got out of prison and found Alejandro and started training him. So that scene is the only one that I really have any kind of problem with because it's very strange. He just brings him there to show him this head in a jar and see how he reacts. I think he wants him to snap. If it's really his brother, he assumes he's going to just lose it. And then he's got him. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. And he just... what does he, he leaves with this line. He says, maybe someday I'll see the world through your eyes. Because they're talking about this custom of some particular tribe they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, some ancient they, civilization, you know, Aztecs, whatever. I don't think that's who, what they used. but And they said they, they would consume the flesh, cannibalize the flesh of their fallen enemies yeah. because they thought it would give them their power. The eyes especially were most coveted. And then he ends with that line. I did think that it was... Whereas I agree, it, that would have been out of character for any of the Dons in the movie who you said had interacted with each other in a fairly cordial manner, um, even though they were at one point fairly upset with Don Raphael because when he comes back to the shores of America, when he comes to California and there's a crowd there for them, they're welcoming him, um, he he kind of took a little shit on them. Yeah, he throws them under the bus. He says the Dons are content to just cheat you. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought it was in character for Captain Love. I believe that it was in character for him. It was just strange given the context of the rest of the movie and how everybody was interacting with each other. It's just such a confrontational thing to do when they had been fairly cordial. Even though they were kind of taking little jabs at each other before. It's a long way to go from making snide remarks at each other to pulling out the head in the bucket. I mean, you're right. And it's it's just the only one of those where it's like, come here, and it's 
that he's there for a very, very short amount of time. But boom, here's his head in a bucket. What do you think about that? He goes, fire your housekeeper. I'm out of here. Bye. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the only scene that's like that to me. That's the only reason I bring that up. And I think a lot of movies kind of try to be maybe more deep and complex than they need to be by throwing in these kind of often brilliant lines, but they make the interactions feel just so unusual. Yeah, there were some there were some things in this movie that I really enjoyed. Um, small things. Um, I really enjoyed the... And I like this in movies where it makes sense. Uh, this was... Based on the time period of the movie, you're not driving around in cars. You're riding around on horses. And I really liked the relationship between the two main heroes and their steeds. Um, Anthony Hopkins, obviously, as the young Zorro in the very beginning of the movie, his horse is there to be his partner, do what he needs him to do, be there when he needs him to be there, exactly like you would expect. And then later on, as uh, Antonio Banderas' character, Alejandro, uh, sees the horse. He sees the horse being unruly. He sees Mm -hmm. that they are having trouble bringing it in. And Diego says, like, oh, that's an exquisite horse. He says the type of horse it is. Appaloosa. Yeah. He's like, great horse. Alejandro's like, all right, I'm having it. And then he's surprised that the horse acts exactly the way he saw it acting the first time he saw it. Yeah, he he goes into the stable to break him out. He gets him all saddled and he hops up there. He's like, all right, let's go. And then all of a sudden he's sitting on this horse and then it just goes bucking bronco. Yep. It starts just going everywhere in the stable, smashing shit, bust through a wall where all these other troops are. Yeah. Um, and He's trying to just sneak in and take the horse, and the horse is not happy. The horse I, is like, hey, everybody. Yeah, instead of quietly just, like, leading it out of the stable, no. He's going to hop on and he's going to ride it out because, well, I'm I'm going to be Zorro. I can, that was my horse. Mm-hmm. But the whole, that their interactions, him and that horse the whole time, that horse is kind of a dick to him. And I really enjoyed that. It's, it's like this horse is giving him shit. And by in so doing that, they're, the writer or director is able to give this horse just a little bit of character. And I appreciated that in this. It was fun. I mean, even Elena, she is kind of a human MacGuffin. Alejandro's mm-hmm. kind of falling in love with her, and Diego's trying to get her back. It's his daughter. You know, when you first see her, she's worried about having had impure thoughts. One of the, one of the first scenes with her where she's speaking much. Mm-hmm. Is her confession. And then it turns into her kind of trying to be in the middle of this fight between Rafael and Diego. She doesn't want her real father, Diego, getting hurt. But she also can't, after 20 years, can't just stand by and allow Diego to kill Rafael. Because he Mm -hmm. raised her. I like that there's that much depth to it. And I like that she... It, she's shown, we we're talking about how we're establishing people as good or bad. She's really concerned, it seems like, about the people in the mine. The people that they've got locked up that they're going to destroy as evidence. Yeah, she wasn't just damsel in distress. And she also wasn't super badass heroine. Right. That she was a little of both yeah, as a she- human character and... It was it was well done in that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. She beat, I mean, she beat Alejandro in a sword fight, and she says she's been doing it since she was four. Yeah, it makes sense. He's been it, doing it for a couple months, a year. Yeah, 
Like, it makes sense that she would win, but it also makes sense that she would be a little bit out of her element in other areas, particularly, like, the huge fight scenes elsewhere in the movie, because that's not something she's exposed to. Right. There's there's a huge difference between being taught and training all of your life versus actually you're no more training. Now we're into actual battle. Those are two vastly different things. She was, and I'm not going to argue, I think slightly a MacGuffin of that that's kind of what she could have been considered, but a good character. And I didn't, I didn't disbelieve the things that I saw her doing. Yeah. I think she was a well-written female character too. There's a lot of, focus on that nowadays it seems like having well-written female characters because men male characters tend to dominate most movies but i think she's a good one i mean there are a lot of them that don't have a lot to do they are just an objective or they're just there as a plot point or Mm -hmm. whatever but she's active i mean she takes an active role she guides how the movie turns out she guides the interactions between diego and rafael she beats alejandro she is very important to it while seeming like you're saying like a real person she doesn't just turn into a badass yeah as at the end and you know because they have to have it's it's an action movie so they're going to have a big action set piece at the end of the movie i mean that's you know standard fare for this and this was for the most part well done with that i enjoyed the conclusion uh the fights between Diego, Raphael, Captain Love, and Alejandro. But she didn't jump into either of those like she's going to all of a sudden be this awesome sword fighter who's going to go and start fighting all these, the the low-level peons that you would say. Right, like uh, Rey in the new Star Wars movies. Not that I want to get into Star Wars. There are things I like about them, there are things I don't like about them, but the thing that never made sense to me for those movies is... Ray's living on Tatooine. I think so, yeah. She's living in the middle of nowhere. You know, she's shown living on her own. She has some survival skills and things like that. But as soon as the the stormtroopers start just barraging the area that they're in, she knows what to do, which is weird. Because it's not something she should have been exposed to before. Finn was there. He was a stormtrooper. You know, they make these jokes in the other movies that he was just a janitor or whatever. But he was also on the front lines with Kylo Ren in, like, the first scene of that movie. So he would be used to that sort of thing. So it would have made more sense for him to be sort of the Diego for that and guide her into it. And then after a little while, she gets used to it, and then she becomes the badass. That would have made a lot more sense than her just immediately knowing what to do and leaping into action. Like we're saying here, Elena does not just immediately know what to do. She does not immediately do the same thing Zoro's doing. Right, she, she has her skills that she's learned because it's something her father wanted her to learn or yeah. that Raphael wanted her to learn. She looks around at the situation and says, all right, well, I'm not going to be part of that fight. I'm not going to be part of that fight. But look at all these people. Here's something I can do. Yeah, let and, me try to save these people. Right. She actually does something like it's it's something the character does that makes sense. Like, I'm, I'm not going to run and do this. I'm not going to run and do that. I'm going to go take care of this thing that nobody else is doing. I did think one of the scenes... It, talking about that particular scene that did bug me um they show early on they're locking up all the workers the peasants uh and they're doing it so that they can blow up the mine and get rid of the mine and all of the evidence which includes them and when zoro shows up and everything originally starts to happen captain love goes and he stops the wick 
uh, from burning. He boop, cuts it. And so, well, I don't have to worry about this right now. I have to worry about taking care of Zoro and doing that. There was a point when it got reignited based on other things that had gone on that she runs over that burning wick. And did I'm she? like, yeah, she did. She and I thought to my, stopped it? And right. And I thought to myself, you know, she just stops it right there and like, oh, I'm going to. And she's, the thing that bothered me about it is up to that point, she seemed like a just a fairly smart, capable person. Well, it's. If, it's like the medallion. <laughs> if she had stopped the ticking clock, then there'd be nothing driving the story forward. There'd be no intensity. There'd be no impending doom. Mm. I mean, yes, but I think the greater drive for that was you needed the big explosive payoff at the end. It was it's an action movie. It's a ni- late 90s action movie. And in 90s action movies, there were lots of explosions. Yep. And so they felt they the need. They were the giant CGI sky battles yes. of the 90s. Absolutely. And so they they needed that to happen. They wanted that people to be able to get that big payoff of the explosion, which I didn't necessarily need. My payoff was in the battles and how the two main antagonists got their comeuppance. Right. A lot of the time the stakes were about the people involved. Mm-hmm. Not... not always about the fate of a country or a whole group of people it felt right that at the end it built up to that Mm -hmm. it built up to saving this large group of people who are imprisoned and are going to be killed to protect the secret but getting to what you said about the way about the type of movie it is and for its time period i actually i had this thought while we were watching it that i like the way it was shot. I like the limitations that they had to deal with. Some of the limitations made it a little bit hard to follow, particularly the chase where they're fighting on horses. Yeah. It was a little bit difficult to follow exactly what he was doing because you can't see everything. They have to cut. and Yeah, there's no one long pieces. shot. There's jump cuts, sure. But a lot of those cuts, especially during that end sequence, made it feel intimate. They're cutting to all these different things happening at once instead of what they would probably be able to do now, which is cut to wider shots and use CG to fill things out or better sets or whatever. A lot of the scenes that they're doing are very they're very tight. Mm-hmm. They're cutting between multiple different things happening at the same time, and it makes it feel, like I said before, a little bit more real. It makes it feel like you're in the middle of all this stuff going on, and it makes it feel more intense. And in that respect, I, I really like the way this movie was shot. It doesn't spend a whole lot of time on scenery maybe the first scene where they're establishing the world that they're in mm-hmm. does where Zoro instead of just getting on the ground and running out of there he keeps climbing up stuff yeah and he rides his horse up these stairs uh-huh. and gets this scene where he, the horse rears up and Which, it's a cool establishing shot to be fair I think that's a classic Zoro silhouette the man on the horse reared up in black with the cape I think that's a, a classic hallmark of, of the character of Zorro. It is. It's which, basically Batman standing on the edge of a building looking stoic. <laughs> Batman was good at that. Yep. That's his jam. But yeah, the choreography in this, most of the fight scenes, the things, I didn't feel like they were done poorly. No, I, I think they were done really well, especially compared to more recent movies that most people would probably think were better. Like um, The Dark Knight Rises. That's the third one, correct? That's the third one. Okay. There are some scenes in that where the fighting is a lot of people kind of moshing together. Uh And it's really hard to tell what's going on. And if you go back and watch those movies now, that's, that's an argument that I had in favor of 
Ben Affleck as Batman. Batfleck, the fight scenes. <laughs> I mean, they were way over the top, but that's how kind of how Batman's supposed to be. It really felt like a live-action version of the Arkham Asylum games. Whereas the Chris Nolan movies, as great as they were, there were a lot of jump cuts. There was a lot of shaky camera. And you couldn't really see what was going on. And this one, I mean, it was... The camera was dead on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they were saw sword everything. fighting. They were swinging around. Yeah, it was choreographed well. It was shot well. He used practical effects. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of... I think that was kind of at the height of when they were doing that really well. I don't mean this movie in particular, but I mean this type of movie. I think if you want, like, the height of fight scenes, you probably need to watch some of the Bourne movies or, you know, Daniel Craig Bond movies, whatever. Yeah, there's... I'm... I like those style movies. Um, a lot of the fighting Jackie Chan, Jet Li, uh, Donnie Yen. I really enjoy those and the fight scenes and watching that stuff because of my particular background. But I do not like, and I 100% agree with you with this, some of the, the shaky cams, the jump cuts. It takes away from a good fight scene. I yeah. think. There are scenes in a lot of these movies where really they're just flailing around. Yes. They're not but really doing anything. They're just kind of swinging. There were some... Okay, I don't want to say that just straight up say this movie is without any faults. Um, there are some things that happen in it. You had mentioned one that for plot convenience. The Two one for that, plot convenience. There's the medallion and uh-huh. the fuse. The, the one that bothered me the most, I thought, was there's a scene with Elena. And she's walking around this market in town. And apparently her old nanny, who worked for Diego and her mother and would hang flowers over her bed, her four-day infant old bed, and she recognizes her. She looks at this fully grown woman who she hasn't seen since she was in a diaper like young, like not toddler diaper, like young, young baby. And she just recognizes her and she like tries to give her a present and she tries to tell her some stuff. That was one that bothered me. But it came back later on in the movie when uh, Diego, after he has the conversation with Alejandro about I have my own personal thing that I have to go do. And that this was what he had to go do. He had to go find his daughter. And that gets brought up again. And that's why, obviously, that, that other scene had to take place. So she could be like, well, wait a second. Um, this lady in the marketplace, she she said his name. Is that? And that's how it really sinks in. Yeah. W- without that scene of her and that old woman, she she there's no reason for her to believe anything that the steward of Alejandro is is saying. That's that's how she sees him. She had the scene with him, with his horse, and it was nice. It was yeah, a they nice had a little conversation. scene. They got a little bit personal. It was. It was but a nice was, scene. Yeah, he served Alejandro. Right. So there'd be no reason for her to believe any of that except for the scene where she talks to this woman in the town. So she, overall, I would say this is a pretty good movie. It holds up a lot better than I thought it was going to. I kind of had these memories of it from a long time ago, and I thought this is going to be goofy. It's going to be a little bit like the Tim Burton Batman's when they started to go off the rail. It's it's. I just don't think it's going to hold up that well. But there, it really did. I'm surprised. There are no bat nipples in this. Um, no. Yeah, it is, and because of the things that we talked about before, the practical effects, the way the choreography is, the camera work. It does hold up well, unlike other movies from this time frame that inserted CG 
And you go back and look at them now, movie like Spawn or something, which I personally happen to think was very enjoyable, didn't do super well. Uh, but you go back and look at those now, and some of those effects and things that they did, they do not hold up. It's also a period piece, so nobody's mm-hmm. driving around in a 94 Ranger or something else that dates it to the way it is. Nobody's using a you know, a Nokia. There's not no, that we saw. I mean, they might have had it on set. Or anything like but that. But they hit it. They hit it well. And you know the time frame it's happening in because they're discussing actual dated things that happened in U.S. Mexican history. And I guess that would be my one, my one last gripe with this movie would be that the intro is a big title card that you have to read. You don't like that? I don't know how I feel about it. It makes sense because, like you said, they're giving you historical context, but there might be a better way to do it. I mean, it's. I feel like it's that or it's exposition. Yeah. And I don't mind those. I don't. I don't necessarily need the full rolling Star Wars. I have four paragraphs of stuff that I need to read, but I don't mind that opening scene of this is this is what's going on. I'm starting this movie, and this is where we are. Go. But we did get enough exposition naturally to know what's happening. We know that the governor has to go back to Spain. We know that there's a revolution. Like, they say all these things after that title card is up. That's true. All of the... Everything that they conveyed in that is given to us again after that. In a a somewhat less obvious way. The only thing we don't know from context is the exact year. But when the title card that gives you the synopsis behind... The movie, the very, you know, the very starting piece of information you need is one of your biggest gripes. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah, it was fun. There was one thing in it that I really enjoyed um, as a throwback to a very old classic movie. Um, That was when Raphael was trying to find Diego, the old Zorro, in the prison. And the guard calls, and he's like, whoever of you is the mass vigilante knows, show yourself now. And it was the old throwback to Spartacus. Yeah. Which I enjoyed that. That was an old movie from way back in the day. If you haven't seen it, I recommend seeing it. The original, not the TV show that they came out with, which was okay, but not the old classic movie. And I enjoyed that they put that in there. But otherwise, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is something that both you and I would recommend if you're just looking for something fun to do, go see it. Definitely. Oh, it's I'm on. sorry. We say go see it. You're not going anywhere. Sit sit down in your living room. Pop on whatever your you know service is to watch it and watch this movie. It's a lot of fun. It is. And we also found out. I um, never knew this. <laughs> I don't know how I never knew this. I liked this movie. I had it on VHS. I, I, <sighs> there is a sequel to this movie. <laughs> And uh, we may have to watch that and review it as well. We'll see. We'll see what happens, what the uh, future holds. But otherwise, this is a this is a watch for sure. This is a watch. Yeah. At the end of it, I was thinking, wow, they kind of set that up for a sequel, especially that scene at the very end where it's his silhouette and he does the Z. Uh huh. It's like, huh. Oh, it's too bad there wasn't another one of these. <laughs> Apparently, there were. Apparently, there is at least one or two. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip-flop. Something like that. <laughs>